right, hey everybody, welcome to Hardcore Troubadour. We're doing uh, something a little different and a little special today, um, and I'll let uh, my co-host Tyler tell you about that. But as always, I'm Brian Wallace, pleased to be here with you. This is our first uh, episode we're recording after we started uh, airing. So yeah, just so everybody can understand <laughs> in the timeline right now, yeah. everything you've heard before this, um, we were just recording this uh, by ourselves with no idea if anybody was even going to care. So totally. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk um, the boss today. We're gonna That's talk right. Bruce Springsteen and um, That's his right. um, effects on music in the 80s and also talk uh, several um several of his records that are the big ones that matter to people matter to us or matter to us matter yeah. to the, the universe at, at large but um some of which don't really matter to me at all but we're gonna talk about them um, that's right but yeah it's a, a sidetrack episode i had an idea about because when we were uh talking copperhead road and looking into that like with steve making the jump to rock and roll and kind of away from country and whatnot, I had this theory of what if Born in the USA, which I know was something that Bruce Springsteen wanted to record as more of a um, a folk record along the lines of Nebraska and was kind of pushed by the studios to make it a more rock and roll record. Yeah. If that sent ripples through history and which led us to getting Copperhead Road as a rip and rock record, which definitely led Steve down the the avenues to write some of my favorite Steve Roll records which absolutely I wonder if would they would even have existed if he wasn't kind of uh tempted into the uh the devil uh the the the, the crossroads of rock and roll music yeah um but yeah but uh how are you doing right now Brian man I'm I'm all right I'm I'm excited to be talking about this um like you know we Tyler and I were both sharing can't nerd out about Bruce at near the same level as we can about Steve Earle, but like, damn, these are some of my favorite songs of all time. And just to, to be able to go through them is something I'm really excited about. So I've been looking forward to this. Otherwise, um, the big thing for me, um, in addition to the usual work family stuff is just a few days ago, integrity played new york city you went i'm so jealous oh, of course i went and i mean God. i know that this means nothing to you considering the mosh warrior that you are tyler but it might not surprise you to know that your boy over here doesn't get out there as much as i used to uh-huh um integrity brought it out and um what song the 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 song that first got me in was abraxas annihilation um and they then you know, my old ass not able to take a breath. They went straight from that into Judgment Day. Um, so, you know, the my my friends thought it was hilarious because they had not seen me like, you know, not just like mosh, but mosh with no regard, regard. for yeah. anybody around me oh, in a yes. while. Um, but I got to say, show was awesome start to finish. It was um, End It from Baltimore, opened the show. Perfect just band. Killed it. Then All Out War, who they played some new stuff, but they played everything that I wanted to hear from for those who were crucified. Fantastic. And the Kings in Decision sounded great as always. Tom was awesome. Like set list was great. And it's uh it was a little special nod too, because this is the 25th anniversary of the Unorthodox LP. Um, so that was sick. Then Warthog, 
um, who I've seen a few times, but this was my first time seeing them in a big room. Um, and it was just so cool to see one of those like energetic hardcore punk bands that it's like this shit rules in a basement with 40 kids and this shit rules in a big room in a big room with a thousand kids there in a barricade, which could have totally killed the vibe. I can but imagine. It, yeah, but it but it didn't. I mean, yes, it would have been better without a barricade, but uh, people were going off enough and, you know, all the singers were like interactive enough that mm -hmm. like, you know, it, it didn't feel like I felt at some other barricade shows where there was yeah. like an obvious gap. And then integrity. I mean, I knew it was going to be a great show, but there was just, you know, there, there was some like interesting tension around it. We don't have to go into all of it, you know, but like there's a reason that integrity having yep. been a band since 1988 had never played New York city in all of those years. Um, and it was amazing to see like, yo, Isaac was there, there having a great yeah, time. I heard, yo, he broke up a fight. I heard, I heard <laughs> about this show. that. Yeah. And like chatted with Jwid, like, so it was like, the vibes were good. That's and amazing. it was, and it was also a good mix because, you know, like a lot of places, I think, um, or, or just when there's like, you know, legacy bands playing, right. Even if they're excellent, sometimes it can, you can risk through no fault of the bands of becoming like an old man show. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there was definitely that crowd represented. I mean, there were 1100 people there. Um, but enough, like, you know, of old dudes who still, who don't just like stand to the side drinking beer and a lot of young people there who I think, you know, love integrity, warthog and decision. But I think it was also cool to like a band, like end it. It was awesome because there were younger kids who know them, love them going off. And I was watching, dudes who are clearly just there to see integrity that had never heard end it like going and buying their stuff. So like, you can't That's ask so for anything. Cool. You can't ask for anything better than that. Like truly a fucking like intergenerational hardcore show. Um, so yeah, it was, I mean, props to everybody that, that worked behind the scenes to like, not just put on the show, but like make sure that this could happen and it could happen in a way where everybody was able to like, you know, have a good time and like, you know, bury whatever beefs might have existed um that prevented this from happening for a while but both as a friend to some of the people involved and as just like a fucking hardcore kid it was a really really good show dude um, that's so fucking awesome so yeah yeah so dude had a, had a blast like amazing for end it to be on a show like that too because i feel like they're such a cross-generational band that if you yeah. can get them in front of people because i mean some of those guys are are like older than me yeah and uh and have been doing this for so long and um like uh patrick i think their bass player is like mm -hmm. a he's like a generation ahead of me mm -hmm. um and the fact that he's in a band that is really popping off and akil is such a a um interactive front man with so good i mean he's a stand-up comedian fronting a hard oh for band. sure um but uh yeah i just i think they're they're definitely a band that i think rides that that rail of if you were into like controversial hardcore meaning you liked integrity in the 90s and yeah yeah like and it's gonna appeal to you in a in a big way and is gonna yeah. play musically and uh thematically to a lot of the things that might re-engage you in hardcore and wanting to uh come back to it <laughs> absolutely and like you yeah. said it's like akil as a front man is both like 
funny, engaging, but also just like a really fucking good singer, man. Like, yeah, fuck him. Just honestly, honestly. <laughs> for being for being honest. <laughs> yeah, like the a true entertainer, the full package. Yeah, and we, it, uh, it also helped. You know, again, sometimes sometimes shit doesn't translate to the big room, right? But it was the combination yeah. of energy was right. Whoever was running sound, a lot of people don't give a shit. Just like guitar nerds like me but it sounded good and sometimes that's hard in a room where it was like clearly not designed for like that heavy that of the music, music to be playing yeah, yeah. sometimes it can just be like boom, boom, and everything's just reverberating they knew what they were doing it sounded fucking heavy but like clear it was great dude that's awesome i'm glad abraxas got you out of uh yeah out of out of your your comfort zone and got you to go nuts that's that's my favorite song off that record nice my uh my all-time integrity song is salvation's malvolence and oh, yeah. uh I uh, the first time I got to see Integrity in Cleveland mm. um, years and years ago, uh, I at least made it through that song before I tweaked my knee for one of the oh. early times before I totally ruined my knee. I tweaked it a little bit um, at that show. And um, I want to say it was that and then a heavy chains set mm. at United Blood were like the two sets that were the warning shots. My body fired uh, before alert before finally alerting me that you're old and you're gonna ruin yourself but, but hey uh, but yet and yet you're still out there every chance still you out there dude you see the dropkick video that went viral from of course i Tulsa? of course i did yeah that's what i've been up to is uh <laughs> going viral on tiktok for dropkicking a kid i'm using i'm gonna use that to to promote the next episode that comes up be like new episode <laughs> of hardcore troubadour coming in like <laughs> So yeah, that's that's what I've been up to. I, I I will say uh we're all cards on the table. We had this episode planned for like a couple weeks ago. So I've uh crammed a lot more life in before we uh we got to do this. I wrote most of my notes for this on the way to and from um Minneapolis for Snow and Flurry Fest that yeah. Constraint played with Gates to Hell and a bunch of Midwest bands and um momentum and Escuela grind which i had no idea i like Escuela grind i found that out they covered hate breed uh filled oh, which is no my shit. favorite hate breed mosh part so that's a nice um, touch but yeah no it was a cool cool weekend i've been way more active in a mosh pit than any 34 year old should be <laughs> but uh but yeah snow and flurry was cool um act like you know fest was one of one of my favorite things I've gotten to go to in a while, man. Oh, I man. wish, I wish you guys could have been a part of it this year, man. It looked so sick. It looked so sick, man. It was, it was such a good vibe. No, like I want to say, is maybe two fights the whole weekend, and I don't even think one of the fights nobody even got kicked out. Someone got like royally roughed up for a minute. He was just out there moshing like two or yeah. three songs later. Awesome. No, 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 no beef, no anything, yeah. you know um it was great it was super super violent at times not too many people got too hurt uh homeboy from side eye uh like fucked his ankle up but he was they played louisville last night and he was moving around hell yeah than i thought he would be so uh but yeah no it was really good weekend or both weekends were really good for a bunch of midwest bands dose from Iowa had yeah. a really good reaction to Snow and Flurry. And apparently they, they played the after show to act like, you know, I'm 34 years old. After shows are out of my After place. show, yeah. I, no, I feel you. you. No, yeah. thank you. Miss me with that shit every time now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was like Scowl was awesome. Spy was awesome. Gridiron was great. Like all the all the bigger bands on, on the fest were 
had you know got awesome reactions but you know a lot of the smaller bands got awesome reactions too. ankle biter broken vow yeah um it was just a fucking great weekend man two mental covers in a row no shit yeah constraint did break a sweat and then pummel yeah. played after us and opened with history one-on-one yo that's so i was cool. like i was like struggling to get my knee braces on while the <laughs> the build-up like the the build-up and drums were happening for history 101 so i could get out there to be like singing along and uh and yeah ankle biter did uh did a righteous jams cover and a rival mob cover which made me feel so old i mean because not only are they covering righteous jams which is like one of the bands that got me into hardcore but they're covering rival mob because it's been 10 years since hardcore for hardcore came out which is i mean there's just like yeah there's so many layers to that to unpack like i had um speaking of righteous jams you just remind me because there's a connection then to like the podcast and steve earl so the country band i used to play in half figure gunroom whose singer brian hartley played had a big role in me becoming a huge steve earl super fan one of our tours we played albuquerque um and there was like some bar you know what i mean that we had been booked at and we get there and we find out we're going on super late. Um, and at the time, I think it was 2003, we, um, you know, as one does, you find out where there's a computer you can use and you can log into the internet and like mm-hmm. check your emails and see what's going on. And we found out that Righteous Jams, um, several other, ba- I can't remember if Mental was on this tour, but definitely Righteous Jams. Um, and a few, you know, it was like a, good like locking out show um plus some locals was in town like not far away from us so me and chris who were like the two hardcore kids in the band just fucking went over there you know and start talking to people the show was great and anyway the connection that i have there there's a lot of people that were there that i've lost touch with but after the show legit like half the crowd including a lot of the bands came over to see to us, your show to oh, our amazing. to our like weird you know bar show standing around but it made what was sure to be kind of like a whatever night i hope we make enough money just to get some gas to get to the next town don't know if anybody's going to see us one of the most memorable nights of that tour and i have righteous jams um and you know just so many of the dudes that were around um associated with locking out and those shows to thank for that so um yeah, but it's it is weird to be like, and that was nineteen years ago. So I can't be, I can't I can't be upset if a band is thinking of that like yeah. a classic. Oh yeah, no, they're a classic you, band now. If you do the math, that would have been me then thinking about Bad Brains or Minor yep. Threat mm-hmm. in terms of time periods gone by. Yep. So um, you know, it it it's sick. It's sick to hear bands doing that. Both and both people that were there for it and love it and people who have kids who have discovered it you know from you know after their time but like love those records um and are playing those songs so yeah man that sounds like a lot of fun and i just act like you know formerly known as promcore like what a good vibe and just the way that i've seen that fest build over the years you know what i mean and not you know covid interrupted so many things but it's like they should know, and I think everybody does now, the word has gotten out. What used to feel like, kind of like, this is a regional thing, yep. you know what I mean? Dude, the East Coast and West Coast, everybody's paying attention. And at this time of year, in the fall, like that is that is one of the premier 
fests in the country. And now we're seeing, you know, so many, you know, bands big and small make, you know, going through Oklahoma part of their plans because yeah, of dude, that. And so, Aaron, Aaron, who, who puts it on, yeah. he, he puts on for Oklahoma in such a, such a great way. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal dude. And his kid was at the, the fest and stage dove a couple times. Oh shit. And like was hanging out. He's like a huge anxious fan apparently. So like he was like just geeked out when anxious was it. playing and he's just like, like 13 or something. Oh, that makes like, me so happy. Just a child out there, yeah. just just so stoked on being at at a fucking gig. I don't know. It was it was really it was really sweet. And uh, and Aaron kept like 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 whenever I'd see him, he'd like tell me like a little story about like something that is going on with him and his kid being at the show. Just like trying not to embarrass him, but I could tell he was just so excited to see of him. Of course, like, out in the world, like in his world. Yeah. Like, yeah. And uh, I don't know, man, it's just amazing. If that kid starts playing, he better start playing guitar or, or drums or something or figure figure some way out to get involved in this. Because if he could do that before, you know, before he's even in high school, dude, oh, fucking shit. get a head start. A head that's start so for cool. hardcore. No shit. Yeah, I mean, that's some shit I think about, man, because I'm like, yo, it seems, you know, I, I want you know, my kid who is much younger than Aaron's kid to like love a lot of the things that I love, but I would also kind of understand if like as a true rebel, he thinks it's lame as shit and gets into yeah. something else. You know what I mean? So it's like always like a curiosity of like, what will be the things that he likes once he mm -hmm. starts like developing preferences and tastes and stuff like that. And will he think, yeah, will he think my shit is cool or will he think it's just like weird and uh, dusty but I think the thing we have going for us, right, and that's the thing, that's one of the many beautiful things about hardcore is I might be dusty, but, like, we can go to a show where there's not dusty shit at all. Yeah. So, like, you know, it, it doesn't matter that I've been around forever and, like, I'm, you know, whatever, making sure we can get out of here so we get to bed on time or whatever. There's kids of all ages at the show, all the way from young teenagers up to and past my age. So it's not going to feel like he's hanging out just with his dad's friends. Yeah. You know what I mean, um, and that's, that's an advantage that I think, uh, you know, our thing has that a lot of other things that kind of like stay within like a really tight knit age group. Don't um, they get stale and, and our thing doesn't. No, for sure. I mean, yeah. any age you are, you can go to a show and find somebody there your age. Yeah. I love it. It's Which so it's just fantastic. But yeah. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, it was really, really, really good weekend, man. I've just had a Thanksgiving was a, a nightmare at work, but you know, that week has passed and now we're it's passed. We're on to the next uh the next nightmare of Christmas. But um <laughs> it hasn't gotten bad yet. So I'm just enjoying this week where I get to hang out with you and record this yeah. podcast talking about the boss. Hell yeah, man. I'm so excited to talk about the boss. So I mean, Tyler, you you teed it up a little bit, right? Like kind of what the what the motivation was um, for us to do this sidetrack to talk about Springsteen. Um, but we're going to talk about like in his very long career, a particular time period, um, which, you know, frankly is, is one of the main ones that defined him, him going from like, you know, amazing, well-beloved singer songwriter and band leader to like international superstar um, by the end of it. Um, and the record 
Well, I, I think I want to turn it over to you because we had some discussions about like which records we kind of wanted to talk about and include in this. And, and I think we we ended up settling and, and coming to an agreement, but we both definitely agreed we want to start with Born to Run. Um, and so... Well, first, yeah. I, I want to know how you came to uh, connect with, with Bruce Springsteen and how yeah how how like what age were you that you was it your you know your stepdad who got you into bruce springsteen that would be my assumed route that you would have found him it's that is that is true and actually there are some similarities between how i got into bruce and how i got into steve Earle. Um, not exactly but a, but a few similarities that i really didn't think about until we were getting ready for this episode. So it's basically like my dad had born to run and he had born in the USA, my stepdad. And what I remember though is loving so many of the songs off born to run. And this was all as I'm at like, you know, an age when I was developing taste of my own. So this isn't little kid. This is like, you know, early teenager listening to my own stuff. Right. And I thought not all, but a lot of the songs on Born in the USA were cheesy. And I think just because like I knew them, I would hear them on the radio still sometimes mm -hmm. and things like that. But the older record, Born to Run, I really loved. Um, but honestly, because you were a snob, because I'm a yeah, because even at like 14 years old, I was like an elitist <laughs> dickhead. Um, and this is what's fascinating Um yeah, and he would even come up. I'd be at like some kid's house and his mom, you know, like, uh, you know, born in the USA would come on the radio or dancing in the dark or something like that. And I'd be like, well, um, do you know Thunder Road? Um, you know, like, that's actually a better song. Um, so, yeah, my personality was developing then. But also similar to Steve, as much as I like liked that, you know, not his first, but early Springsteen album that I had had exposure to, didn't really think much more about him yeah. until I got to college. And the difference here, um, you know, we'll see if my wife ever listens to this podcast, um, but this was long before I met her. My friend Brian in Half Figure Gun Room got me to like really get deep into Steve Earle. A girl that I was dating got me in to Bruce. I went into her dorm room and she had, you know, you know, when it was the thing for a little while, I think people would buy these things at fucking like Urban Outfitters or whatever, but, you know, frames for records, right? To, to yeah, put yeah. them on the wall instead of uh -huh. somewhere else. So she would like, you know, take the LP out and have that like in the crate, but like display the sleeve like on the mm -hmm. wall, right? And she had several Springsteen albums that I had like seen the covers of but never heard. Nebraska, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, um, and a couple of others. And I was like, whoa, you really love Springsteen, huh? And just kind of being like, whatever, I like you. And I'm not about to, yeah. you know, like, I don't know. And she was like, yeah, you don't? And I'm like, I do, but I'm not like a, like super into it. And she was like, I'm not hanging his records on the yeah. wall. And she's like, have you heard Nebraska? And I'm like, no. And she's like, we're listening to it right now. And, you know, it's, um, it's not exactly a good mood setter for a date night. Um, especially since the first track is, you know, about like a murder spree, mm -hmm. but um, I was hooked from there and it became very easy for me then falling in love with like the stripped down, you know, mostly acoustic songs on Nebraska to go backwards and forwards um, yeah. a little bit. And um, that kind of leads to, you know, 
the records we're talking about are the ones that I know the best because I think they're the best ones. Um, I think in a lot of the you know later stuff, I say later, but this is even going back to like Tunnel of Love onward from like the mm -hmm. late 80s, there are shining moments, right? That are like oh, undeniable. Yeah. And I think I think about Streets of Philadelphia. I think about American Skin, 41 Shots, about Amadou Diallo, um, which I love just because like the pigs in New York City were like protesting Springsteen shows and telling people not to go um, because he played that song. Um, but now they, you know, kill for tickets. They, they yeah. you know, um, but all that said, like, you know, as far as full albums go, nothing that I've really given a solid listen to other than like some live stuff really catches me the way that these do. So that's a little bit about, again, my, my Springsteen and, you know, again, feeling the need to reiterate, like definitely not able to talk about Bruce at the same, you know, like level as we are Steve, but like the connections and the what ifs that I think Tyler has brought up about like some of the parallels of their careers um, and some of the things that Bruce did coming a little bit before Steve um, make it really worth us talking about and, and doing this little sidetrack on our podcast here. But it's Tyler, also, I mean, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also, it's, there's so much more that we can talk about where we've had interactions with other people regarding Bruce Springsteen's music because yes, he's in the zeitgeist. That's such a good point. Like I have multiple exposure points to Bruce Springsteen before I actually cared. Yeah. Because he is commercial. Absolutely. And was mainstreamed in a way that Steve Roll never has to the point where it was a shocker for both of us to run into each other and have something like Steve Roll in yeah. common. Yeah. Because that just doesn't happen every day. Where if I, you know, was wearing a Bruce Springsteen shirt, I can strike up a conversation with a stranger on the street. Right. About yeah. that. So um yeah, that was one of my uh one thing that I thought like would be cool to talk about this because it does ripple out into um into punk life but also just like family life for i assumed both of us totally would have would have uh stories and whatnot yeah yeah so, so tell, uh, tell me about your you know introductions to bruce yeah my first bruce, bruce springsteen song i ever heard merry christmas baby live on one of those uh on one of those christmas compilation cds my of parents course. would always have Amazing. my mom would put it on uh around the holidays um I'm trying to remember what else was. I think there was like a the, version of uh, dude. uh Santa Baby sung by. And, oh, go ahead. Like, sung by like Betty Boop or some shit. I was in the grocery store here yesterday and the Springsteen version of Santa Claus is coming to town was playing. Oh, rocks, yeah. dude. It, dude, it's awesome. Yeah. It but it's like it's it's that kind of thing. It gets it gets airplay yes. every yes. year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, like uh, I think my mom got the CD because uh my mom's me and my mom are huge diehard fans and mm. uh christmas and hollis by run dmc run dmc was yeah. on it and she she thought that part was so funny and she wanted to have that on a cd so back in that day in order to have music in your house you had to find a cd with something on it yeah and buy it so uh that um i don't even know if that run dmc song is actually on a record or if it's just just exclusively available on Christmas compilations. I don't know. But I can see um, there's also there's a video for it that's hilarious. Yes. Yeah. I know that. Oh yeah. yeah. Um but yeah so uh so yeah so that was the the Bruce Springer scene that was played in my house. Yeah. Was um was that and then I was like tertially aware of Born in the USA via being um alive. 
literally yes <laughs> yep. but uh but i didn't really care too much um i uh i have it written down later um and we can talk about it but the um the first time i ever heard glory days was on a skate video um no shit uh zero uh misled youth the um i want to say it's the credit roll uh compilation of stuff is um is glory days and that was also i want to say death and glory hmm. um by uh by the clash i think is 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 one is one of the songs that gets played in that too but i could be mixing things up maybe it's a plan b video i can't remember i know glory days i heard it in a compilation section of a skate video whether right it's zero or a plan b video i'm blanking right now should have looked that up i was so certain it was zero that now i'm saying out loud i'm like all good maybe that was actually the clash i'm not sure and i mean i'm um, sure they worked closely with uh you know columbia records and bruce springsteen's estate to get absolutely. permission to put that on there right absolutely yeah. i'm sure yeah. it was all above board yeah um but uh <laughs> but um my first real exposure to um and one reason why i, I kind of wanted to talk about this um on our hardcore troubadour podcast where we talk about steve earl but also we're both hardcore kids right is um bruce springsteen was one of the first outlier mainstream artists that it seemed like i was allowed to like as a punk huh interesting and it was when I was 17, 18, um, there was a huge folk punk uh, contingency in Louisville. Um, I'm like one of the rare kids probably who's still around involved in hardcore who was very ingrained and involved in that scene. Mm. Simultaneously that I was going to see Cold World and Down to Nothing I was yep. obsessed with Latterman and um and some of that uh no idea um defiance Ohio, like that kind of that kind of scene, which I talk about never being able to talk to anybody about some music. I never find anybody I can relate to with that shit. Um, but I still in, I still get into it. I still I still fucking have shirts, I still yeah I still put on records. I, I still l seek out some of those records. But um, but when I was when I was around that age, I moved out into the first punk house I lived in. And around that time, simultaneously, um, there was a folk guy who you would maybe be aware of because he was one of the ones who kind of I feel like broke into the hardcore crowd a little bit more. But this uh, songwriter, Paul Baraboo, Paul Baraboo, that name sounds very familiar. He was part of that, like um, that, like folk punk, um, Planet X records, like yeah. that whole that whole um, world. Um, but Paul Baraboo would play my house all the mm -hmm. time. Like, I want to say, like it was. It, he dates one of my friends now, actually, who lived and he lived and lives in Louisville. Um, this girl Frances that I grew up with, um. And I grew up with, I mean, we became friends at 16. We were friends for the that real tight amount of time where all you do is hang out with your friends for three yes, years. Absolutely. And then you all get jobs and separate or some people go to college. Um, but uh, but he dates my friend Francis now and I shops at my grocery store. I see him all the time. Um, but he was uh, he was playing a lot around that time and he had, you know, released some records and was kind of getting some notoriety. 
but he had a thing that he would do with um this girl who sang in this band called one reason one from, reason yes but from from bloomington. bloomington but before that from cleveland mississippi she's from cleveland mississippi okay yes Didn't ginger know the ginger ginger yeah ginger oh, dude what a small world ginger was from cleveland mississippi uh-huh one of my first bands in 1999 played with one reason at the Adventure Theater in Cleveland, Mississippi. And I remember what a big deal it was when the One Reason kids moved to Bloomington. Dude. Um, you know, at that time. So yeah, genuinely small world. What I've the known, fuck? I met Ginger in like 1999. Yeah. It's amazing. She would never really know me. I was just a kid going to her shows, whatever. And One Reason was a band that I want to say I saw one of their last shows. Mm. And after that, I became obsessed with their full length record. Yeah. Um, roads leading midwest or what all all roads lead some some fucking where shit's not on spotify i wish it fucking was yeah um because it rips it rips her songs are amazing the dude who sang in one reason had a real raspy gritty voice fantastic i've got my eye on a one reason to find ohio split on discogs right now that i'm just waiting to uh feel like spending 15 dollars on hell yeah um but uh but but yeah so on on the one reason record they cover um I want to say they cover No Surrender. Mm, and um, that sounds right to me. But when I so I'm seven, I'm 17. Oh, yeah, I'm 17 years old. I go to Planet X Fest essentially to see Ladderman, this band, the Max Levine ensemble that I was obsessed with at the time. That anybody's a fan of Dillinger 4, but also likes, I don't know, Oscar style vocals. Mm. Um, Max Levine ensemble is a wonderful leftist punk band to get into. Um, but uh, but yeah, there was so there's there a few other bands that were playing that I cared to see at that time, a few bands that I cared to see that I would never care to see again um, playing this fest. But um, I went up to Bloomington for the whole week of the fest, skateboarding with my friends. Again, you're talking earlier about finding a computer to log into. Yeah. I remember I remember specifically going to the library in Bloomington to log into my MySpace to hear the cold world song gods and earths for the first time because it was only on myspace and i remember making it my myspace song from bloomington yes from bloomington indiana um but yeah spent the whole week just skating being a fucking little rat kid um but there was one thing that sticks out in my head is being in this park for this park show because it was a a kind of a gorilla fest where like every night there'd be a show happening in this main venue in bloomington but um, throughout the day, there'd be little small parking lot shows or um, coffee house shows. Um, and there was a park show where pa- Paul Baraboo and Ginger from One Reason and later Good Luck, which is if you've never checked out Good Luck. Never heard Good Luck. Good Luck's pretty good, too. Um, just getting all my folk punk shit out in the open right now. Get it out. Uh, just coming out of the closet on this shit right now. But um, but yeah, um. But her and Paul Bearboot were in this park and they played Bruce Springsteen covers for Amazing. like 30 or 40 minutes. And um, I remember coming home from that and thinking, man, I really wish I knew more Bruce Springsteen songs. Yes. Because I could have enjoyed that more. And oh, it was truly yeah. one of those things where it was like a, I had a FOMO for, for, you know, damn, it seemed like everybody else got way more out of that than I did. Right. Um. And uh, and it wasn't for a while that I 
actually was able to like really start because I mean access to music around that time you know still for me was just get a CD put it on my computer put it on my iPod right um but I was able to get access to for the first time in my life born in the USA the mm. whole record mm -hmm. and actually listen to it and realize okay I get it yeah totally I, re I really get it now um but yeah that's kind of how I uh and then this the house I lived in was the Story Avenue house like first show that ever happened in our house was a Ladderman show mm -hmm. um one of the last shows like the first bands I ever played in played shows at that house um um but um uh, all the guys in that house were pretty obsessed with Bruce Springsteen and that's where it gets down to like this idea that Bruce Springsteen was the thing that was outside of hardcore. Right. That it was okay to like. Yeah. And, um, and kind of opened my eyes that there was more than just hardcore. Cause I mean, for a really long time, all I did was listen to hardcore or hardcore adjacent music. Right. And that was right. it. That was what I lived and breathed from age, you know, like almost 17 till, you know, 23, 24. But at least when I was, you know 18 19 years old there were things that started creeping in to mm -hmm. show me there's more out in the fucking world dude just music that's gonna gonna burn me out and make me get over the community that i'm a part of and here yeah. i am years here and years you later, are right still hooked into the community all those kids who were obsessed with bruce springsteen around that time some of them are still around some of them are that's right that's right but uh but it opened my mind dude those are such great stories. I mean, not just because, again, like, you know, we're not even just talking about the small world of hardcore, but like, yeah, I definitely, they, Ginger and Lexi, who's the drummer, they they had a house in Cleveland, Mississippi, the farmhouse, um, and were running like a, I think their label was called like Mosquito Inc. or something like that. Um, you know, I played there, my first band played there, a band I was in called The People's War played there. Um and we were always like the hardest bands on the show, but like everybody had a great time. And now that you mention it, I don't think it was Ginger, but I think somebody else at one of those shows definitely did an acoustic cover of Atlantic City. Um, I mean, it's an acoustic song, but definitely mm -hmm. did like a solo cover of Atlantic yeah. City, like in the, you know, like in the middle of a set. And you were correct. They, one reason uh, the last track on that record is a cover of No Surrender. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just confirmed. I was like, yep. And on their discogs, one reason, a punk rock band originally from Cleveland, Mississippi, then later based in Bloomington, Indiana. Damn, um, I had no idea. That's amazing. It was there. It was a little bit, it was like, <laughs> it's, this is cheesy to say it was, we had, I mean, and now I'm part of it. I've lived in New York city for 17 years now, but you know, in, especially in the South and especially in like smaller towns. And I think this is true in the Midwest as well. You know, there's this like, who stays, who leaves kind of thing, you know? Um, and one reason moving to Bloomington was like in the folk punk kind of world, a parallel to when the, his hero is gone and death threat dudes moved to Portland from Memphis. Yes, yeah, I can. Um, yeah. I mean, it was the center yeah. of that world. Right. And so it was, you know, for me, yeah. And, and they're just being this kind of like, well, everybody who's doing cool shit eventually has to leave here. And which is, First of all, not true. Yeah. But I remember like as a, you know, being in high school at the time, right. Being like, you know, I would, and then I would get upset because like 
and I'm, I said would get upset, still get upset <laughs> because like, yes, tragedy is from Portland. But when I would hear people mention his hero is gone or one word death threat and be like, you know, from Portland, I'm like, they were not from fucking Portland. <laughs> they were from Memphis, Tennessee. Don't you forget it. Death threat, avail death threat. Snapcase was one of the first shows I ever saw. Um, so you know, and I love both death threats, just to be clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but one word death threat was the one that I had first exposure to because they were from my hometown. Um, but so I, I love that story, not just because of those random connections that I had no idea that we had, but also just I hadn't thought about that idea of like, yeah, Springsteen being like the acceptable deviation from the norm or, you know, from strictly liking hardcore and like hardcore adjacent music. But it also makes sense because Hannah, my friend that got me really into Springsteen, her main stuff, she loved like hot water music, like, you know, just a, a similar thing, right? Yeah. Like back when, you know, when Fueled by Ramen was a punk label, like those mm-hmm. types of things, right? Um, a lot of the Gainesville stuff, I mean, against me being another one of those yep. bands that started Huge in that for world. me when I was a kid. Totally. And that very firmly started in that world before becoming like a, you know, much bigger rock band. Um, and so it's just funny to think about now because I think they talk about this on Axe to Grind. I talk about this with friends of mine. I think a lot of hardcore kids today are growing up with just a much healthier orientation where you can like a lot of shit and it's not a big deal. And I it wasn't like always the case, right? That was definitely not the case. And it wasn't that long ago that no. it wasn't the case where yeah, there were certain things that were acceptable and certain things that like people would like either, you know, at, at best just kind of like razz you about and at worst, like fucking, you know, question your cred, like, you know, just so ridiculous shit, right? Because, you know, you liked what you liked. Um, but yeah, the boss was acceptable. Um, and it might be the, you know, maybe it's the the working class ethos or just because the it's some of the best American songwriting that has existed but yeah like the connections are there and then as a, just the last thing this isn't a against me comes up i remember a few years ago how funny it was um bruce springs one of bruce springsteen's kids was a big against me fan mm-hmm. and i don't know if you've seen the pictures so like bruce took his kid to see against me um and then you know they they all got like pictures together because yeah. basically somebody he was just like playing it low-key at uh-huh. the show being like i'm here to I'm here with my son to hang out with my kid. And, you know, of course, word gets around. They're like, uh, hey, don't want to freak you out or anything. But Bruce Springsteen is in the audience tonight. And so, you know, they invited him backstage. You had nothing but great things to say about like just how kind he was, how he genuinely like seemed to really enjoy the music and like liked the show and stuff like that, which at that point, you know, if I was any of the folks. Uh, you know, if I was Laura Jane or anyone in against me, I'd be like, well, I can die right now. Yeah, you like, just kill Mission me. accomplished. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, point, yeah, this is the top. Never, mm-hmm. never going to be better than this. So um, fucking A. Well, but it's also like, it's like, oh, Bruce Springsteen, a person who obviously really likes music, likes your music. And it's like, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, that's going to be the guy. That's yeah. going to be the guy. Like, Absolutely. That's, that's amazing though. I've never heard that story. Yeah, I can I could send you later when it but there's some funny I mean it was not super recent, but maybe like, you know, 10, 11 years ago. Um, against me already being like, you know, a very, very popular band at that point, but not like, you know, not like a an household name. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So playing probably like a club show somewhere and in New Jersey. And here's Springsteen, you know, with his 
I don't know how old at the time, like teenage son at the so show. Cool. Um, and it's, yeah, just imagining being like, all right, we're playing the show tonight. Uh, you see who that is over there? Um, <laughs> so pretty wild stuff, but I think, and apparently too, I mean, I haven't had this experience, but um, there have been some like indie and other, you know, like garage punk and things like that bands around in the New York and New Jersey area that say that Steven Van Zandt comes around every once in a while and will like pop into shows, you know what That's I mean? So and sick. things like that and see bands. So like, it's, it's all, it's real, you know, they're, they're around and they, they still live here yeah. and D dinosaurs um, still walk amongst us. Dinosaurs. Yeah. Dinosaurs, giants walk among us. And then you got, I gotta just, again, as an educator, shout out Steven Van Zandt because he was out on the picket line in LA, uh, during the teacher strike a couple of years really? ago, like, yeah, standing with people. So what a fuck fucking yeah. king. Fuck yeah. Um, dude, should we talk about the records? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. guess I, I wanted to touch on that, on that idea of the, the alternate timelines and the ripples, but I mean, I really think it's, it's mostly just, I wanted to present that idea to the world for anybody to yeah. kind of ponder it themselves. Cause we've kind of pondered it amongst ourselves on how we thought it would affect Copperhead road. Totally. To understand, you know, just to wonder if like it would have led to him seeing more like, you know, that commercial Canadian success that he saw that um, kind of fueled his career for a while. Right. Because, um, I mean, I just for so, so many artists at time at, at certain eras, especially in that transition from from vinyl to CD. Yeah. I feel like those over those out of country markets were like where a lot of people were actually making money. Mm -hmm. You tour the States cause you know, you, you, you're here, but you'd find your living in other countries. Um, totally. And, um, and yeah, I just, I'm, I'm curious sometimes if like, if, if either the rock was, you know, if they, I, I wonder how on board or if they were somewhat, you know, like, Oh, well we like this guy. I guess we'll, we'll keep liking him even though he's doing this now. Yeah, because, you know, you, you always wonder, like with different countries and different markets and especially these between these different eras and what was going on in, you know, cultures overseas or just, you know, up up to the north of us, like um, without some of the. I guess, like more like metal influence that was coming into mainstream music around that time. I mean, I can remember yeah. fucking body count being on like. TV, like. Yeah, they're like in like in like raising like the awareness of you know and and pissing people off, along along with you know how pissed off people were about hip hop, which yeah you know I um so I just I wonder sometimes with like the way did uh, do other countries see that get that same effect that America gets being you know in the puritanical society we live in that gets outraged at different things, but then all that does is actually push the youth more towards it. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Um, because, you know, to your point and hell, I, I hear this from friends that are, you know, tour around the world, even today, like one of the differences too is internationally, like people will still buy CDs. Um, so it's like one of the reasons that like there are bands where, you know, for most of us, it usually makes sense to just like you do, vinyl, do vinyl and digital. Yep. You know, and that's it. But like in certain worlds, it's like, no, you, you'll still sell this CD in certain markets, not all of them, but in certain ones. Right. Um, for what it's worth, the two pre Born to Run LPs, I just looked it up because I was curious. Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, and then The Wild, the Innocent, and the East Street Shuffle. Um, 
charted higher in the UK and Sweden um, than they did in the US, which is just like, you know, an interesting point of reference. There's not like um, a like super worldwide comparison and there's a lot of stuff that's missing that doesn't start to chart until much later. Um, but there is a world where it's like, yeah, in the lead up to like Born to Run breaking and then like the the like household name pop culture superstar that would come, you know, in the 80s. Um, definitely like a a recognition that at least at times was higher than what they were getting here at home. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to think about that. And like you made another point about the comparison to Steve that I was just thinking about oh the, the other thing is this like you know as 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 we've been diving into the steve Earl records on this podcast i think we've often made the point of like hey you know you uh, there could be a person listening who's like intimately familiar right um and there could also be a person who's listening because like they're a hardcore kid and mm -hmm. you know it's two hardcore people that they know doing this and they know the connection um and i would encourage them to like check out springsteen in the same way, right? Like we said, Absolutely. there's a reason why um, he's been so ubiquitous and and popular, not just clearly popular, period, but popular among hardcore kids, even at a time when, as Tyler and I were pointing out, um, there were very few acceptable mainstream artists that you could like, um, you know, that were considered like cool um, in, in this world. So, yeah, man. This is like, I just really appreciate this, Tyler. You're giving me like a lot to, even as I was preparing for the episode that I like hadn't really like considered before. I mean, so. I, dude, I just sit, I think about this shit all the time, man. I'm by myself so often. <laughs> <laughs> I spent so many hours of the day by myself. So I have lots of heady thoughts about things dude. that maybe, uh, um, maybe, a, 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 don't seem very straight edge of me. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, that's, that's what I, uh, I man. Do me and Ashton <laughs> joke all the time because we'll be just having just high ass thoughts together. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm just sober over here thinking the same yeah. shit you're thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's what I I would I would often joke with people who didn't like, you know, who weren't familiar with like straight edge or, you know, anything like that. I'd be like, no, that's how you know me and my friends when we were growing up were actually crazy. Because yeah. when I when I tell you that story about how we did X, Y, and Z, everyone there was completely sober. Um, whereas like most people, their wild stories are like somebody was fucked up or yep. something and they were doing it. And I was like, oh no, we had that that we were all like fully in control of our capabilities and decided that this is what we would do on this particular night, you know, like yeah. Um, I don't know. I just think it it's the jokes I make is like, you know, you gotta be more interesting if you're sober. Um, absolutely dude i joke the same thing too about like uh you know i'm not very tall and i'm like no you know yeah i could be bitter about that or i could be like yeah i had to develop a fucking interesting personality um because i couldn't just rely on being tall to attract people to me you know yeah <laughs> not to say that tall people don't have interesting personalities but no uh, but it's easier you know it's easier right <laughs> um i forget I, I was making the point with um my buddy Vinny at the integrity show actually, cause I hadn't been to like a big ass show in a long time. Right. I had been to like much smaller hardcore mm -hmm. shows or whatever. 
but where it's like, oh, it's a huge like ballroom and there's the stage right there. And I'm like, man, it's been a minute since I was reminded that I'm short, <laughs> you know, because I'm like, I can't see. So it was also like the a good motivation to Mosh was to be able to get some fucking people out of your way yep. so you could actually actually see something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fuck yeah, oh, man. That's so funny. But yeah, yeah, if you want to start getting into the records, I'm going to immediately disappoint you. Just do it now. Just do it. What do you want to do? Dude, Born to Run. What? It's like bottom tiers. Bruce Springsteen record for me. Are you are you serious? Yeah. Right yeah. I need to I need a minute. Hold on. Whoa. Really? Yeah, I know. I, out the gates, I knew I was going to bum you out. It has so, one of my favorite songs on it. Which is your favorite? One of your we'll favorites. get to it. Okay. Well, and and the other thing we should point out too is when we talk about Steve records, we go track by track. Today, we're not going to punish you with every I think single we'll, track. We'll still go track by track, but we're not going to have okay. that much to say about them all. About it. Okay. Fair. Fair. I've got, um, I've got something. I've got well, at least a sentence for all of them. Let me. <laughs> Uh, let me say two things, and then I want to dig into the songs. The first is I'm I'm was not expecting that reaction because when we were first talking about this episode, I don't know if this was intentional or not, Tyler, but like you had said, "Born to Run," then went straight to the river, and then Nebraska and Born in the USA. Mm-hmm. And you'll remember over text, I was like, "We got to talk about darkness on the edge of town." Yeah, and I was curious if like that omission, you know, is because you didn't like that record or like whatever. It's it's not. It is, I think, even by like the charts or whatever, the least popular of these. Mm-hmm. But it is one of my favorites. So I was expecting. I'm going to disappoint you on that one too. Okay, well, uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> but the other thing I would say is like I'm going to read to you verbatim from my notes, and then we'll talk about the songs. Mm-hmm. Born to Run. Just so we're clear, this is a flawless record. Perfect. (laughs) And then I said, if I have to name favorites, though, and went through the four songs that are my favorites, but I I would literally name this. This is one of my desert island records. Seriously. (laughs) Yeah. And you and you think it's bottom tier Springsteen. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Damn. All right. Thunder Road. <laughs> is, it, is, is, this your, is this your favorite song on the record? Thunder Road might be one of the best songs of all time. Is this your, is this, so this is your favorite song on the record. I Correct. guess that one. Okay. You're spot on. Because the yeah. other thing I'll say too, again, Born to Run was the Springsteen record I was familiar with earliest. Mm-hmm. But a very vivid memory that I have. And I was just in this. My first year teaching and my first year in New York City, I used to ride the fucking BX36 bus from Washington Heights into the Bronx and anybody who's from around here would know like just what an arduous route that is. So just imagine me in my first like real winters at like about 6.15 in the morning on my way to do a job that I really, really, really wanted to do well, but was like falling flat on my ass every single day at um, 22, 23 years old. And I had a spell where my ritual on that bus is I would put on, um, I'd put on Born to Run and just start listening to it in order. And, you know, I wouldn't get through the whole thing, but that would be like, I'd listen to other shit throughout the day on my way home or whatever, but my commute in early in the morning would be Born to Run. And so I always think of those like opening, you know, opening piano part to Thunder Road, like it hits it's me a, there. It's a great song, man. Yeah, I've, yeah. uh, 
for for me i wrote uh the vocal pacing on the track showcases what is so special about springsteen yes i agree i think that it's such a it it is if you i think that thunder road is if you're not going to show somebody a song off born in the usa to show them springsteen for the first time thunder road's the song to show them mm, okay yeah i think it's uh i think the um I wrote excellent lyrics and instrumentation, and it's a crucial Springsteen track. Crucial Springsteen track. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, he just the there there are too many good lines in there for me to like pull any out. And he starts like immediately with it, right? Like, "You ain't a beauty, but hey, you're all right." Yeah, uh, like just, just so many. Yeah, the, the big, the small. You got the, this like, guitar and I've learned how to make it talk. Yeah. Oh my god, god it's fucking great, dude. It's it's it's. it's, it's it's amazing. It's a it is a perfect fucking song. I will absolutely give you that. It is an all time classic song. Right on. And, and, and easily, easily a top three Springsteen song. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. I'm glad we agree on that. What about Tenth Avenue Freeze Out? This is my favorite song on the record. Hell yeah. I'm glad to hear that. I love this song. Fucking Tell me why bangs. it's your favorite. It's just so funky, dude. Dude, funky. It jams. Dude. It's uh the piano on the whole the piano on the whole record is good. But uh, song sassy makes you dance. It's just, Dude. it's also Jude fucking all cards on the table. All of my favorite Springsteen songs are basically about bullshit. Dude, he he's even said on record that he doesn't have a definition for what a Tenth Avenue freeze out is. Amazing. Like, but uh, yeah, this just dude. What the fuck are Scooter and the Big Man doing uptown? I don't know, but I want to go up there with them. Fuck yeah, dude. Like. It's- yeah, Dude. Shit, shit rocks. It's uh, it, I think and, this is my I think this is my dad's favorite Springsteen song. Also, that rules. And what rules about it too is I loved it before I moved to New York, and it's a fucking New York ass song that I mm-hmm. appreciate even more now. Like, and it's funny too because I think I would always make the joke for a brief period. My wife and I, when we were dating and had first moved in together, lived on Tenth Avenue, and every time it fucking you know snowed or whatever out, I would fucking post a picture of it and be like, Tenth Avenue freeze out. <laughs> you know, but like I did, I did it so many times, like, you know, the novelty definitely wore off, but it's like, it's like a summertime song. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. the lyrics, like, you know, tenement window transistor blast. And I'm just thinking about like, yeah, it's like a hot, humid ass summer day. And you just hear music coming out of all the w- windows as you walk down the street. And yeah, it's just, it's got swagger. It's got boogie. Yes. Fucking. Yeah. It it jams, dude. It's absolute beast of a rock song. First thing I wrote about it. It's yeah. um yeah. It's 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 amazing. It's it's maybe my second favorite Bruce Springsteen song. Okay, I think it's my, I think it's my second favorite Bruce Springsteen song. Okay, so you like the first two tracks. When are we going to start getting into the stuff that you don't like? Night doesn't move me at all. No, not a bit. I like Night, not one of my favorites on the record, but I still think it's a great song. Yeah, I've, uh, yeah, literally all I go, all I wrote doesn't move me at all. Okay. So if you yeah. don't have anything to convince me, then we can move on to Backstreets. I don't have anything to convince you there. I fucking love Backstreets though. And I could talk about For Backstreets, I've got, more. and I'm back. <laughs> okay. I like that's this fair. song. That's Goes fair. a little long. Goes a little long. It does go a little long. I'll give you that. But I think it's just, you know, I mean, we're talking about that, like, <laughs> we make the joke of, like, 
on a, you know, this highway is mine. Like how much time Steve Earl just been saying like this highway. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is definitely one where as much as like, I think it's a great song, like the, you know, what is the fucking, you know, on the back streets, like it just goes on for a really, yeah. really long time as it like bleeds back in. Um, but it's- I, d- I did have like the, you know, again, piano in the organ. Um, I think this song like um, gives it like Thunder Road does too, but like this song gives like the idea of the huge production on this record. Yeah, exactly. And it's just a yeah. big performance and it's an emotional performance. I think he, he, he gives it in his voice in a way in this song that you can hear in other records too. Yes. Yes. Um, dude, I agree with that. And there like so many of the references where I'm just like, I don't know what you're talking about, but it friggin sounds cool. Like mm-hmm. the Duke street Kings <laughs> and like endless juke joints and Valentino drag where dancers scraped up the tear. Like, you know, there's just like, it's there's all vernacular. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's something <laughs> all vernacular hiding on the back streets. Like highly local like, shit, highly local shit. He says <laughs> hiding on the back streets legit, like 45 times uh, towards the end of the song. So yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I think there are some theories that think this is a song about like someone in the closet. Um, oh. And like, and cause, and I remember there was a gay bar in Memphis called Backstreets, and I never knew, but I, I mean, Always part wondered. of it, part of it could be an innuendo, but part of mm-hmm. it could have been like a little nod to the song. I don't know. Um, mm. But yeah, I'm glad this one brought you back in. Yeah. The song brings you back in. And then uh, Born to Run, I think is a, a classic Springsteen song. Yeah. Ideal rock and roll song. Ideal rock and roll song. Yeah. This is not, I mean, this this does not reach the level of Thunder Road or Tenth Avenue Freeze Out for me, um, but it's undeniable. I um, uh, I wrote one of the best driving songs ever written. I will absolutely agree with that. Um, and I mean, Springsteen has a lot of those. Oh, that yeah. says a lot that it's 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 definitely one of them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, I. I don't know. You could write a whole book just about this song, but all you really could, it, dude. It's, it's got a ton of good lyrics, and I mean, this is this "Born to Run." I mean, that's the song off this record. I mean, yeah, like in terms of like it's that, and then Thunder Road. I would oh, say, without a doubt, and just I mean, again, this is not the purest reference point because so many people listen to this physically and have over the years current Spotify streams. Um. Born to Run, 275 million. The next closest song on the record is Thunder Road at 113 million, less than half. Yeah. So that should like li- literally more than double uh, streams of just that one song than any other song on the record. Um, so a lot of people like that's the one they want to hear. You if know? we could go further into that and see how many listen to some of these other songs have i would be incredibly interested to find out those those numbers yeah i mean you know i can because i'm about to tap out on this record (laughs) it won't it won't surprise you then yeah it seems like a lot of people tap out after born to run um it goes check this out it goes from 275 million to 7 million (laughs) on she's the one i mean right we're we're still talking about like mind-blowing numbers Mm -hmm. but like it goes from i've never had a song listened to that many times of course yeah same (laughs) 
Um, I got stoked when 120 people listened to this podcast. Um, but to go from that, just that big of a jump and then meeting across the river, even lower at 4 million. Um, and then it picks back up in jungle land, which I think is just for people that fucking love saxophone more than anything in the world. And just like extended guitar and sax solos for nine minutes. Um, I will agree with you though, that the, the, the B side is not as strong as the A side. So but... B, B side is, is she's the one, the start of B side, I guess. I think born to runs the start of the B side. No, no, no. You're I think no, because yeah, Jungle Land is so fucking long. Yeah. She's the one is the start of the B side. Yeah, because um, I've got uh I think this song is fine, and then the guitar kicks in, and then I'm like, okay, this song's all right. Not amazing, but not a skipper. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. Um I like meeting across the river more as like a you know, skeezy city performance art piece. <laughs> than a song you know what i mean yeah i've got uh this record could be over at this point the only thing this song has going for it is it's only three minutes long but that's just my opinion i i don't skip it there's i I like it's funny that i like don't really like jazz but i like the jazz playing in the background and meeting across the river well it's Um, only three minutes is the thing yeah and i like it as like background music to something else i don't know it reminds Uh me of like fucking a scene out of taxi driver or something. Okay. It's like a real, real gritty, sweaty seventies, New York city scene. Um, and then jungle land is like, you know, it's nine minutes on the record. Sometimes they do it live and it's like 25 minutes. No, thanks. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the thing about a Springsteen show, if one ever has the opportunity and hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to be able to go to it these days is that, he plays for three, three and a half hours, but like, if you need a break, you'll get a break. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There are a few places where it's like, if you need to go take a piss, get some water, do something like that, you don't have to be worried that you're going to miss a single thing. Yeah. Like epic, because there's going to be some very, very long, like improvisational things, which, you know, yeah, that's, I mean, I hate the Grateful Dead, um, you know, because of that kind of shit, but like, um, I don't know. I, I I give the boss a pass because like when the songs hit, they hit harder than anything else. But like, oh, there's, yeah. a lo- no. there's a lot of this kind of crap in there. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I literally wrote uh, for Jungle Land. This song is the meme. Congrats. Or I'm sorry that happened. I'm not reading all that. <laughs> I'm not reading all that. <laughs> and just what a move. I mean, we, we, we've been through this, though, like the, you know, the the 70s were a different time in popular music. This is like right before you know, th- this is when like so, sort of like proto-punk is all that's happening, right? Which interesting yeah. enough was like on Bruce's radar, you know what I mean? Because he's that much of a music guy. Like there were some references later. Um, He was, one of the tracks on Nebraska was influenced by Suicide, the like New York, like synth punk band from like 1980. Huh. Um, So he like, he knew these bands, you know, yeah. like, he, he knew television, um, like, Richard Hell and the Voidoids and things like that, who were playing rock music, but who were making them all, you know, the two, two and a half minute songs. Yeah. And yet this record and the one right before it, the closing tracks on both of them are fucking like almost 10 minutes long. Um, I mean, and I guess it's, they make it convenient enough for you that it's just kind of like, okay, we're done. Um, yeah. I mean, w- well, one thing I wrote, I said, I don't even hate this song. It's just too long. It's just too long. It's just like, a very, it, I'm yeah. in till four minutes. And then I'm out. That's fair. That's fair. Um, 
Yeah, I, yeah. I, I wrote, uh, I don't believe I will ever listen to this record without skipping tracks again. That's fair. Um, I still think it's like, even with all those flaws, close to a perfect record. Yeah, like, I, when, I, I, I wrote, I like songs off this, but as a whole, I think it's mids. Mm. Yeah, I'm gonna have to disagree with you there. Yo, but... and 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 we're, we're we're but yo, I mean, I'm just saying, like, if this if this, <laughs> I hate to be, I hate the to be the classic hardcore dude would have been a better seven inch. Yeah, when like you know such a thing really didn't exist at the time because it was either like you had your 45 single and then yeah. you had like long ass LPs. Frankly, this is, we'll get to this. I don't want to like reveal everything right now, but like I have, I, I've i made The River a perfect record by moving it from a double LP to a single album. Mm -hmm. I think there's enough songs on there to make it I agree. one perfect I, I album. Think, I think we're going to possibly agree with yeah. most of those. Didn't need to be two though. Um but like, d dude, at this time, like people couldn't get enough fucking double albums. Yeah. It's like everything was Frampton Comes Alive and like, you know, like shit like that, dude. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll be on some 70s shit for a little while. And then I'll just be like, dude, there was so much bullshit. Oh my God. Um, like there's a reason that like the punk thing initially was like, fuck this shit. Nobody wants to hear you wank off for 20 minutes. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, um, so I identify with you know, a lot of Joey Ramone's sentiments on that for sure. We'll talk about yeah. him in a minute too. Um, when we get to, when we get to the river, I have some Joey Ramone connections there, which I'm excited okay. about. But yeah. Okay. So that's, um, that's born to run. That's Dude, born to run. Hey, let's just do a quick check. Realistically, my man, we have been going at this for an hour and 10 minutes. So I think we should maybe go ahead and make the call now that this is going to be a two-parter. Yeah. Um, and maybe we'll we'll talk about darkness and see if we want to either get into the river or hold off on that. But like um, I'm having a blast, but I also want to be mindful of the just how long we end up going. Cause we, we no, said this I is gonna be mindful be... of the listeners' time for sure. Exactly. This is gonna be a monumental thing. Um, because we're trying to do something that we would have spent about 10 hours on with Steve's material. Yeah. Um, in you know. Much two and a half, three that. hours. Two, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and like with the addition of what we did in episode zero for Steve, just kind of talking yeah. about intros and backstory. So exactly. It's reasonable. But I would definitely love to talk about darkness. Can we get back to my earlier question, Tyler? Was there a reason that in your initial proposal, you this isn't a record that you had mentioned? Um. Really, the reason is I, I think there was I think I'm, I'm only I was only familiar with one song off this record beforehand. Okay, which this song is was the, it? You're, you're hearing uh, um, uh, fucking uh, Streets of Fire. Mm, okay, got it. This is the it. only song I was even remotely um, aware of beforehand. And that's so, not one of my favorites off the record. Yeah, um, I think it's just the only one of the only ones that like yeah. was in my zeitgeist. It is interesting. Like this was like clearly a, it was a popular record, but I without going like too much into detail it's definitely between the powerhouses of born to run and then the river but just in terms of commercial success singles you know what i mean darkness can get lost because darkness has a lot of great songs but like the um it doesn't have the radio hits like the other records do in the same way right and i think one of the reasons i first started getting into this is just like um especially at the time 
there there was something like that I have always been obsessed with the cover of this album, which is just it's a you know it's a picture mm-hmm. of Bruce, which a lot of his albums are, not all but many. Um but like just you know, obviously like the face he's making or whatever, but it's like it's almost like he's standing in a kitchen that looks like so much like my aunt's kitchen, which had probably not been updated since 1975. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And th- th- there's just like a little bit of like a, it takes me somewhere. And I also still have very vivid memories of that album cover, Bruce staring at me in Hannah's room mm-hmm. where it was like hanging over her couch. Um, I have other funny stories about, um, you know, my time in college and dorm room stuff, including um, a story we can talk about another time of how before I knew Tom Sheehan, he kind of cock blocked me um, because, you know, while, you know, normal, like civilized, healthy people would have things up on their walls, like Springsteen records or like movie posters or things they liked. I had um, the nothing in vain like promo poster there, which is, you know, like a, a dude with his wrist slit <laughs> in the bathtub. Not a mood setter. Um, and definitely had, you know, uh, a, a young lady that I liked and, and that I think at the time liked me, you know, and had agreed to come to my dorm and hang out and watch a movie. And um, the vibe changed after yeah. she saw that poster and um, she, you know, she didn't hang out too long is what I'll say. Yeah. Um, so this is like a, a, a wild tangent, but yeah, it's like the, the shit people put on their walls makes a statement one way or another. Um, so I remember Bruce, um, but I hear you on, on, on darkness. Like it's, I think a lot of people would say it's probably one of the records that they're like least familiar with, but I'm curious, like having listened to it for this episode then and hearing some songs for the first time, like, you want to talk about it? Yeah, uh, Badlands song does nothing for me. Okay, yeah, it's it's a cheesy one. Yeah, for sure. But dude, what about Adam raised a cane? Danzig. Yes, <laughs> I understand Danzig in a way I didn't before. Yeah, right. I've always kind of wondered. You get the twist of cane reference now. All of it. Yeah. The whole vibe, yeah, totally. of the band. He's another Jersey dude too. He's know? another Jersey dude. Yeah, exactly. Literally, I showed this to Ashton. I was like, "You got to hear this song." I was like, "She was." I was playing it for her, and she was like, "This is cool." I was like, "Sound familiar at all?" She was like, "Why?" I was like, "Does it sound like Danzig to you?" She goes, "Oh!" I was like, "Yeah, yeah." It was like so fucking Danzig. The Misfits were starting when this record came out. Isn't that interesting? That's fucked. Yeah, yeah. it totally tracks. Um, and, and this is my favorite song on the record. Dude, it is so... Like, I sometimes hesitate to use the the adjective, like, passionate to describe something in music, you know? But, like, that's uh-huh. what comes to me in this song. It's heavy. Um, heavy, right? It's, it's, there's a heaviness Hard. to it. And there is a line... I had to... The line that I wrote down, because I, I wanted to make sure to share it, was... Daddy worked his whole life for nothing but the pain. Now he walks these empty rooms looking for something to blame, but you inherit the sins, you inherit the flames. Dude. Fucking hard, dude. Hard, right? Absolutely hard shit, dude. Fantastic. 
Yeah, um, no, uh, I if 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 I got anything out of this record, I got Adam Ray's Decane. Yep. And and I, that is and that is a forever like Springsteen track for me now. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I'm shit I'm whoops glad, ass. I'm glad you like that one. The next two, I'll say. I mean, not to like jump too far. Something in the night is a song that I think is okay, but too long. Like many of the other ones we've talked about, but Candy's room is my skipper on this record. I hate it. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, for something in the night, I've got songs fine, but kind of agonizing to me before vocals come in. Mm -hmm. um, he sounds amazing on the track kind of grows on me as it goes. And then for Candy's room, don't really care for this song either. Seems very all over the place. It's all over the place. Couldn't decide what they want. Like, I, I think, yeah, it's just, there's, you know, it's one of those times where I'm like, this was not necessary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and also just like, there's a, when Springsteen is at his cheesiest in some of the later work, um, like, you know, when we talk about the river, some of the songs that I would like skip or delete on that record, I think this is a preview <laughs> of kind of some of that where mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, um, you know, it's it's not, I mean, clearly being Steve Earl fans, like, it's not like we don't love love songs, but yeah. like, it's got to hit, I don't know, it's got to hit certain notes or a certain tone. Mm -hmm. um, and then the way that Steve can mix in his love songs with his like working man story narrative, which obviously Bruce has a lot of, but like they, I don't know, I think on a lot of Steve's records, they seem to like flow together for yeah. me. And on this, it seems like these are like totally you know, they feel the, the transitions feel jarring. Disjointed um, in a way. Disjointed. Yeah. It doesn't feel yeah. as cohesive as a record. Right. No, I, I, um, I agree. And, uh, onto, onto racing in the street. Uh, I wrote for a song about something exciting. It's boring. It's boring AF. Yeah. So when you said that's the song, you know, I'm like, that makes sense. Oh no, it's... no. Streets of fire is the song. I'm aware. Streets of fire is a song, you know? Oh yeah. yeah no. Racing, in, bad, racing in the street, which I, I, again, yeah. maybe racing in the street was a song I was, I was, tertially aware of but i've just got for a song about something exciting it's boring af yeah I, I don't love it um the next two though um promised land into factory mm -hmm. um i love um, okay both musically I, I, and lyrically i'm in for promise promised land and i wrote uh like this song it's got great hooks and it's very catchy mm -hmm. um but for factory i said subject matter top notch music a little boring uh I can feel that. Um, and it is like, it is an uncharacteristically short song for Springsteen. Yeah. So, so maybe he felt that way too. Um, but yeah, there's something, I mean, like they're, they're both, they're working class anthems. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're, I feel like some of this stuff is just, you're thinking about like the evolution of a, of a songwriter or artist, like they give good previews of some of the stuff that's to come, mm -hmm. um, you know, all the way from like, the river, Nebraska, um, even down to like, you know, in the nineties, the ghost of Tom Joad. Um, so I love them for that reason. They're two of my favorite tracks on the record. Um, are one we, of the, so are one of those, your favorite track? Adam raised the cane is my favorite track. Adam raised the cane. Um, cool. So we're, we're the same on this. Yeah. One. Yeah. I was, I was, I was wrong on this one. I thought darkness might've been your favorite track. I, darkness gives me chills. Okay. Um, but it, it's like if I had to pick, um, if I had to pick from the two, I'd pick Adam Raised a Cane just because okay. I think it just, you know, it, dude, yeah, like the the song, 
without being a metal song still sounds like it's wailing from the depths of hell yeah <laughs> you know what i mean fuck dude yeah 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 um, hardcore band should cover that oh absolutely um i keep there's a few songs that i think could work really well um yeah. in springsteen's catalog but yeah we should talk more about that um but i hear you on factory music wise so then yeah. then streets of fire and I got, I got this is the only song I was really familiar with. It's cool. Great. That's it. I don't I don't have anything else to say. I think it's another one of my like I'm with you. It's cool, but it's not one of my favorites. Um Prove It All Night I think is just a a great rock song. Good hooks. Skip. Yep. You'd skip Prove It All Night? Skip. This oh is my god, of... skip. Okay. I just dude the I love the chorus. I love the, like, it's just, it's, it's one that I'll find myself humming at okay. different times. So I, I, maybe I'll come back to it at some point. Maybe it'll grow on me. No, you won't. Um, that's all right. <laughs> I listened to the record three times and I was, Dude, in, before I really made any of these notes. That is one thing, Tyler, of many things that I will always appreciate about you though, is when you come and say like, mm, I don't like this. I know that you, <laughs> you gave it a, you gave it a proper chance. You know yeah, what I, I mean? Tried. Like I, cause you know, I have people that I'm like, dude, you heard two notes and then we're like, this is boring, whatever. I'm like, that's not you. I know you tried. So I'm like, if it didn't hit you, it's probably not going to hit you. Um, but what about darkness then? Good closer to the record. Good closer. Like I, I thought the same thing too. Like it's a, and, and it's interesting. Like the arrangement, you know, is what it is, but this is the kind of song that like, could have been a stripped down acoustic only like Nebraska mm -hmm. song. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I for sure feel that. Yeah. Lyrically. I love it. And it is one of those, like, it gives me like, you know, I wasn't exaggerating, like literally chills, even like when I know what's coming. Um, so that's like, yeah, I want to say like darkness on the edge of town, like, like that whole vibe of song too, like makes me think about like some of those, like, really like like it brings up in my head like uh the vibes on like that modern life is war record mm, on witness yeah yeah like just how desperate and like just abandoned like some of these like industrial areas get yeah and how just hopeless it can feel just being out there yeah kind of left i yeah this is again like a, a desperation and an isolation that comes with it like everybody's got a secret son something that they just can't face some folks spend their whole lives trying to keep it they carry it with them every step they take till someday they just cut it loose cut it loose or let it drag them down where no one asks any questions or looks too long in your face in the darkness on the edge of town in the darkness on the edge of town yeah um yeah. And again, just another preview too, because there's so much of that, like so many of the characters on Nebraska and the river as well. Mm -hmm. um, live, live in the darkness on the edge of town, yeah. basically, you know? And so it's like a, it's a really powerful metaphor. And I just, and I love that he, I love that he named the record after this kind of like somber Mm -hmm. low key into the record trout because yeah it has like it starts with a it's a good record title a, too man yeah it's a great record <laughs> title right like um 
But like you said, like look at Bruce on the album cover. This is called Darkness on the Edge of Town. And then the first thing when you first put it on that you hear is. Yeah. yeah so like Badlands was a weird choice to start yeah. the record. Like Adam Raised a Cane, I think, is more of the tone setter. Oh, yeah. What, absolutely. You know, like, I, like. like I wrote good closer for this record. I wrote aside from Adam Raised a Cane. I think the whole record feels really reserved. Mm hmm. In a way that even Nebraska, which is stripped down, isn't reserved. Yeah. It's like these songs are going to be heavy. These songs are going to be sad. These songs are going to be real. They're going to tell stories. And you're going to be able to picture these. That's right. Where yeah. we got Candy's Room and we got, you know, fuck, prove it all night, dude. To me, just fucking, I don't know, man. Just, <laughs> I guess it's, I just, you know, Steve loses me sometimes in the love songs, and yeah. I guess Bruce loses me even more often. Um, but I wrote like this, like, like I think the reason I only like like three or four songs off this record is because it's so reserved. I hear you on that. Well, dude, I want more than anything to dive into the river, but two things one, we're mindful of time, and two, like, right on cue. My kid just started crying. Um, All right. So I feel like that is a good sign that for part one of this sidetrack, this is a good a good place to pause. But um, I'm really enjoying this. And um, yeah, and I, th I think as you're listening, you know, the other thing you should know, we're on a typically on a an every other week episode release schedule. But for this one, since it's a two parter, um, you know, after you hear this the very next week, you'll be able to hear part two. Um, so, you know, if you're with us, you won't have to wait too long to hear the rest of the Springsteen discussion. If you're not with us, guess what? It won't be that much longer until we're on to something else that you might yep. vibe with a little bit more. So either way you went. Um, yes. Yeah. But as always, Which, we appreciate I'm, I'm trying it. to think what's, what's the next uh, Springsteen record or the, not Springsteen. What's the next Earl record after the next, the next studio it? record is train a common, train um, common but, but we also want to talk about the live record, uh, shut up and die like an aviator. Yes. Which you know we'll we'll decide where that's going to fit in because chronologically, which I, got, which I got in the mail the other day from Europe. Hell yeah, dude! Yeah, I love it. You'll and I'm excited not just because some of the versions of the songs I think are great, but like a lot of good, a lot of good Steve stage banter on that record too. Fuck yeah! Um, so I think I think you're going to enjoy that. But yeah, it goes. It's that gap of like, shut up and die like an aviator live mm -hmm. album. Steve going to jail, yeah. you know, like a, a big, there was a chance that he would never make another record again after the things that happened in his life there in the early nineties. And then train a coming uh, is the next studio record back. So um, well, yeah, we'll go, go take care of your kid. We'll talk about Bruce Springsteen soon. If you guys are with us next time, you'll hear us finish this talk. Hell yeah. Thanks as always for listening. See Thanks. you soon.